0: As we come now before the very Word of God, would you please turn in your Bibles, if you'd like to read with me, uh, to the Gospel according to Matthew in chapter 1. And we'll be this morning in Matthew chapter 1. And as always, before we read, would you please pray with me? O Lord... We know that what we've just sung is true, that the darkness will turn to dawning and dawning to noonday bright, and we we hope in these things. We know that your way is perfect and your word is true, and that your voice goes out through all the earth. Help us now in this moment to hear your word and to carry it with us as a great treasure by your Spirit. Would you open our ears to hear and our hearts to believe? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Matthew in chapter 1. I want to take up this morning just these first uh, six verses. So Matthew chapter 1 will begin in verse 1. The book And Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. This is the word of God. Now, this is an interesting place for us to be. What has brought us here now, today, to this part of the Bible? We, we just finished uh, through long several months in Hosea, so we need to pivot and move some other place in God's Word, so here we are in Matthew. We are just a couple of short weeks away from a very special season and I'm not talking about the Christmas season. The church counts the Christmas season as starting on Christmas Day and extending after that. Uh, so the Christmas season is still quite a, quite a few uh, weeks off. What's really coming up for us soon is the Advent season. Advent is the time before Christmas, and it, it's, it's about the anticipation Of the coming of Christ Not just about the coming of Christ himself But about the anticipation of his birth so today we're, you know, we're in, we're in mid-November, so we're not even quite to, to the Advent season yet, and I don't want to rush us in that direction. I know we're, we're, I guess in some sense, anticipating the anticipation, and, and I know many folks get really grumpy about how Christmas seems to creep earlier and, and earlier. It's kind of swallowing up Thanksgiving and all the holidays before it. You know, the, 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 the stores, have you noticed, are now already... Playing that Christmas music to remind us to buy more things. And I know I get uh, grumpy for good or for bad about some of that uh, Christmas creep as well. But it is always a good time for us to set our minds upon the coming of Jesus. So, in these next weeks, we're going to allow Matthew. To be our guide to bring us to Jesus. And we want to start where Matthew starts to deepen our understanding here. The big question for us is, in some ways, simple, in other ways, complex. The big question is just who is Jesus? And so, as we follow Matthew, we'll specially look at the titles given to Jesus and what they mean. For us. So that's where we're headed. Now, I want you to imagine, humor me for a moment, I want you to imagine that you know nothing of the Bible outside of what you might have heard from from culture. That is, that you have had at no point in your life no direct contact with God's word. You've never even opened or touched even a Bible before. But one day, you stumble upon a copy of the New Testament. And for whatever reason, curiosity or otherwise, you open it up, and like you do with any other book, you turn to the first page. Because even though we as Christians are used to flipping around in the Bible, jumping from book to book and chapter to chapter, that's not typically the way books are read. Usually you read books from front to back. So you open up the very first page of the, of the New Testament and you start to read. And the first words you read are these. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And from there, your eyes kind of scan down the page, and and you could see this long list of uh, of names that it it would be easy to skip them. And and so, what might we learn at least from just approaching the text this way? Even if this is your first go and you know nothing else, you probably get a solid sense of who the main character of the Bible is. You know, we've got this guy Jesus. Right up front and center. He is, he is the guy. And, and the first thing we see about Jesus is not a record of his birth. In Matthew, there is a short section in just a little bit, we'll get there in a few weeks, about Joseph and Mary and the birth of Jesus. But none of that stuff, at least in Matthew, has all the nativity scene bits that we might be familiar with. In Matthew, at least, there's no mention of shepherds, there's no Bethlehem, there's no swaddling cloths, there's no angels appearing to at least Mary. Um, Those things are all in the Bible, but that's in the record of of Luke, Luke's gospel. Matthew, however, takes a very different approach to Jesus. He doesn't start with his birth. He starts with with history, with a lineage. And so even if you're a first-time reader, you might get a sense that there's a story before the story. That is, that there's a context before this that we should know about. Even if you don't even know that an Old Testament exists, you probably get a sense that whatever came before this was important, that there was something earlier. So you might start to wonder, as your eye scans down this big list of names, even if you're familiar with the Bible, you know, who are all these people? Am I supposed to know them all? Am I supposed to recognize these names? Am I missing something And without the Old Testament, the answer to that is, well, yes, there is something missing if we don't have that earlier story. Matthew expects his readers to know or at least to learn who at least some of these people are, because they matter for Jesus and matter for us. It matters what this heritage of Christ is about. Now, we know, because we have a little bit of experience with the Bible, that Christ's heritage is not about his origins. Since we know that more than just this first page of the New Testament, we know that in a proper sense, technically, if we want to be technical, Jesus doesn't have an origin. He had a birth, but he's also the eternal Son of God. That is, Christ has always been, he, is, he will always be, Jesus has no beginning and no end. So we'll hear, if we were to keep reading, we'll hear Jesus later say, before Abraham was born, I am. So it's not just about his origins, and yet Jesus is still connected to Abraham in some significant way. There is a sense in which Jesus is descended from the line of Abraham, and we need to know why that connection matters. Because Matthew doesn't doesn't give every single person in the heritage or lineage of Jesus. He doesn't give them all equal weight. So if you read, you notice, it probably was hard to listen to me say it slowly and not skimp past it, the word father of... So-and-so is the father of this person. So-and-so is the father of this person. Father of can technically, literally mean the dad of. But it can also, and commonly means, the ancestor of. So my father is my dad, Matt. My grandpa is also my father in this sense. You know the old language of so-and-so begat so-and-so? He begat this and begat this and begat this. That means somewhere along the line was your was in your lineage. That means that Matthew can skip over generations if he wants, and he does. There are people that are just clipped out of this lineage for whatever reason. So there are some people that Matthew omits. As many names as he gives us, he omits a whole bunch of people. And on on the flip side of the coin, there are other people in this heritage that he does the opposite with. There are a few people in this heritage that he highlights. You can see them right up front. He highlights two people in particular, David, and Abraham. Now, there are a bunch of people in the heritage of Jesus that Matthew could have highlighted. You know, Paul, in the line of Jesus, highlights Jesse at one point, you know, that Christ is the shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse, he says. Uh, John highlights uh, Judah in the line of Jesus, that Christ is the lion of Judah, and and Luke, when he gives the genealogy, highlights Adam. He takes Jesus all the way back to the Adam, the first man. So Matthew could have highlighted uh, any number of people in here, but he wants us to see, for some particular reason, the significance of both David and Abraham. Now, next week, Lord willing, we'll take David. Today, we want to take up Abraham. And we want to know why it matters on page 1 Sentence one of the New Testament that Christ is the son of Abraham. Why is that important for us? The answer, the too short answer, is that Abraham's offspring is the bearer of God's blessing. Abraham's offspring, the son of Abraham, is the bearer of God's blessing. So, this is where we need some Old Testament context. When we first meet Abraham, you know Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, that guy. Uh, When we first meet him way back uh, in Genesis, um, he's just a guy of no particular importance in the land of Ur, and, and he, a guy with a beard and a staff and some sheep and a family. A small family, for that matter. He didn't have any kids, just a wife and a nephew named Lot. And out of nowhere, seemingly, the Lord chooses Abraham, calls Abraham to a land that the Lord will show him. And as part of that call, God gives Abraham promises. God's going to give old Abraham children and a new land, and most importantly, blessing. And from the very, very beginning of it, that promise is far bigger than just to Abraham's family. Uh, Just a couple of verses here in Genesis chapter 22. Listen to how this is connected to the offspring. Uh, Genesis 22, verse 17. The Lord says, I will surely bless you, Abraham. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you've obeyed my voice. What we want is that last little line In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That is, the offspring of Abraham is not just the receiver of God's blessing, they're a carrier of God's blessing. So, in that sense, the sons of Abraham are like our kids or any kid, with a cold. You know how kids with a cold are? They do not keep their germs to themselves. They get very good at spreading those germs all over the place. Wherever they go, they become carriers of this thing that they have. That's a sort of a gross way to think about it. But it's similar in this sense, that, that when we turn to the first page of the New Testament now, one of the very first things said of Jesus is that he's the son of Abraham, that is, he's a carrier, of blessing to the nations. Now, if we were a novice reader of genealogies like these, we might think they're boring, Even if you've read them several times, you still might think they're boring and skim through them. But if we begin to meditate upon these things, to really look at the words, you can see that Matthew here is cleverly embedding this idea of the Son being a carrier of blessing throughout it. Let me just briefly mention a couple of ways where this is embedded in this narrative. Matthew famously includes a few particular women in this list. Did you notice this as we went through? It's kind of famously talked about here and there. Not very many. It's typical in Matthew's culture of the day to to track a lineage through the men. Whether you like that or not is beside the point. That's just culturally what they did. And so many genealogies included no women at all. Uh, But those that did, those that mention women, do it on purpose, Whenever women are men named, the mothers, in addition to the fathers, that's intentional. And if you look through not counting Mary, the mother of Jesus, Matthew includes four women in this line. Four mothers are named. And they're not women that we might expect. The four women, if you look back through, are these: Tamar, Rahab, Ruth and the wife of Uriah, which is Bathsheba. Maybe some of those you recognize, maybe some you don't. But Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. There seems to be at least one glaring omission from that list, at least as I think about it. Yeah? There's one that I think, why did you leave her out? Which is Sarah, you know, the wife of Abraham. The very first guy in the list, why does he not include his wife, Sarah, in this list? Because not only is Sarah this big, important matriarch in Genesis, she's she's a big part of the story, the bearing of this offspring, Isaac, that'll be the blessing to the nations. Not only that, she also has a supernatural childbirth experience. You know, when she hears she's going to be given children that will be a blessing, she laughs, remember? Because she knows she's long past the way of women. I don't have to play that out. You know what that means. She's well into menopause. By the time she gives birth, she is 90. She's 90 years old when God gives her the promised son, Isaac. So given the context of Matthew, we might think Sarah is a logical woman to include because he's giving this as a lead up to this supernatural conception of Jesus in the Virgin Mary. There's a a common theme there. But Matthew's point here in including these women is not just to include women who are prominent or important, nor is it to include women who who have some sort of supernatural childbearing experience like the mother uh, of Jesus, Mary. His main reason for Including these women, as far as I can tell, is he includes these women because they are Gentiles, non Jews. These four women he names are all part of nations outside of Israel Tamar is a Canaanite, Rahab is a Jerichoite, Ruth is a Moabite and is a Hittite. So as Matthew is giving us this line, he's reminding us that the line of Jesus is a mixed race. And this is a foreshadowing of the blessing to the nations. That's one way that Matthew weaves it in subtly, cleverly. Another way that he weaves this idea of blessing to the nations is in the title of the section, the very first verse there. In the, in the Bible, when, when we come to the genealogy of a particular person, uh, so let's say I'm taking the genealogy of Nathan, you would give that person's descendants, not their ancestors. You know, I'm, I'm going to list the ones that come after them, not the ones that come before. So one example is at the end of, of Ruth we get a similar section to what we see here. We These are the generations of Perez. You know, Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, the uh, father of Abena, uh, Amenadab, and so on and so on. So So here in Abraham we're starting with Abraham and leading up to Jesus. So this should be called the generations not of Jesus, but of Of Abraham. These are the generations of Abraham. And yet, that's not how he calls this section. If you notice in the very opening of Matthew, he doesn't just say, This is the genealogy of Jesus. He says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus. Meaning, this is not just a reference to this opening list of names this part of the first chapter, that the entire book of Matthew, in some sense, is a genealogy of Jesus. That it's a reference to all that would come after him. That even though Jesus had no biological children, he had no wife, uh, no sons and daughters, he is about to grow a mass of spiritual disciples. And those spiritual descendants will be a blessing to the nations. That's the whole trajectory of, of this book. You can hear it at the very end. That's what the whole thing is building up to, so that some of the very last words of Matthew are these in chapter 28. Go therefore, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what this is really setting us up for. Now, the fact that Jesus is the son of Abraham and the agent of blessing to the nations, that's a major theme. Not just in the book of Matthew, but in the whole New Testament, the whole Bible. Let me point out to you just how central this theme is. Because Paul takes this up in Galatians chapter 3. We won't be able to read it all. But he takes up this theme, of the blessing to the nations. And in Galatians chapter 3, I could talk tons about this if I had time, and I'm sure you would be riveted by it. Uh, but uh, the children of Abraham who received this blessing are descended, he says, not by not by birth, but by faith in Jesus. And, and he says, now Jesus has has opened this way of blessing by becoming a curse for us, he says, that, that the debt of sin is taken away because that curse is put upon Jesus instead of on the people, and that there's a new oneness that kind of comes with this expanding blessing, that, that there's this giant family, really, that's being made, that, that all who are in Jesus are heirs of the promises of God, and we're all kind of one. I could piece those apart and make a sermon out of any one of those, but the main thing I want us to see is this. There's one particular piece that's about this connection of Abraham and the blessing to the nations. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Listen. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, "In you shall all the nations be blessed. What we want here, what I want us to see here, did you catch this at the very end? He mentions this very old Genesis piece that Abraham is told, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And Paul says, when Abraham is told, in you shall all the nations be blessed, that's called what? It's called here the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel is that Abraham's told that he'll be the source of blessing to all the nations. This has a massive impact on what we think Jesus, the son of Abraham, came to do and to be. Because some people think the gospel, which is a very Christian-sounding word, the good news is what it means, some people think that the gospel is this. The gospel is you pray a prayer, you ask Jesus into your heart, Jesus saves you from sin, and then you get to be in heaven someday to be happy with God. Some people think that that's the gospel. And in some ways, that's not entirely wrong. That's part of the gospel. There is good news for sure in that. The problem, however, with that approach is it's just too small. And honestly, it's usually a little too selfish. Jesus came for me to save me so that I can be with God forever. The gospel of God, the real gospel, is far bigger than just you. Jesus came to rattle the chains off the whole earth. Jesus came to send the slavery of sin up in a puff of smoke to purify for himself a glorious, unified, massive people greater in number than all the stars of the sky and the grain of sands on the shores. This gospel, this massive, earth-wide gospel is an actual source of hope for us. Because listen, a gospel that you can just fold up nicely and tuck into your pocket will not do you a lick of good. We need, want something bigger than that. We do not hold the gospel in our hands. It's the other way around. The gospel holds us in his hands. So the gospel then is not just about blessing to me, what Jesus does for me, where I am going to be after I die. It is that, but it's transforming us into agents of blessing now and forever. Now, in order to be part of this, we do, this does not mean we need to travel to some nation on the other side of the globe to put this blessing into effect. Some people do that. We praise God for them. Maybe that might even be some of you, that God has some foreign mission call upon your life. But the agents of blessing are not just foreign missionaries, all Christians, all people who are in Jesus are to be agents of blessing to the nations. And the nations includes your neighbor. That means there's implications for you, whether you set a one foot outside of Rensselaer or not. As we close here, let me mention just briefly three areas of implication this call to blessing the nations has upon us. There's implications here for our prejudices. It seems that few people seem to think that they hold any sort of harmful racial attitudes, and yet somehow racism is still a major persistent tension that is coming from somewhere, which leads me to think that there is more racial problem, racial prejudice inside of us than we recognize or admit. And we don't have time to unpack it all. That would take a very long time. But we can at least name one part of it that we can see. It is really hard to be a blessing to the nations if you think black people and white people shouldn't mix or marry. That's one implication. There's also implication here in this blessing of our, of our music, especially our praise music. And if you turn on the radio, what passes for worship and popular Christian music is way too me-centered. I mean, if you actually listen to most of the lyrics, we are inundated by things called Christian music, by what God will do for me, 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 me. You know, even, this isn't just about the modern stuff either, even in cl- classic Christian hymns, we need to be careful how we receive them. So something like, you know this one, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That's not wrong. <laughs> there's a good use for that. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. There's, there's hope in that. There's comfort in that. We can hold on to that in a way that's good, but it's not good if we use something like that as an excuse to just box Jesus up and keep him in the nightstand or can him up and keep him on our shelf. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. It's really hard to be an agent of blessing to the nations if you mainly sing about what Jesus has done for me. Third and final implication here is how this impacts our families. You know we're to be the blessing of God to the nations, but this, this doesn't necessarily mean that we're getting rid of the family delineations. Abraham's originally told, "In you all the families of the earth will be blessed, which means that there's still distinction of families, pockets with different last names. There's still a place, of course, for family time that's just us, that's just our family, and yet some of us maybe myself included, need to be careful that we don't let our families lose that outward-facing component, that our home is permeable in some ways. It is really hard to be an agent of blessing if we teach our kids and grandkids how to share their toys, but not how to share Jesus. At the end of the day, this isn't piling upon us only to be agents of blessing. Matthew tells us that Jesus is the son of Abraham. Our master, Jesus, is this grand giver of blessing. What we want, then, is not just to receive that. We want him to make us givers of blessing, too. You pray with me. Lord, we know uh, that we are just one part of masses of generations that you have made your own. And Lord, we are thankful to be part of that, that you would bring us into your family. Help us not just to sit upon these things, but to share them. Stir in us a desire to be set on mission to bless the nations, or even just to bless the neighbor across the street. Thank you for being a God who is this powerful and this kind to be so giving to us. We are grateful and thankful to you, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.